always wanted to do something uh, with it. And I, I, I knew I could do more with other people than I could ever do by myself. At best, I'm an average athlete. At the very best, I'm an average athlete. I'm not fast. I'm not real strong. I just kind of do enough to get by. Anybody with me? But I knew that if I worked together and played my role in, my, in the team God set me, set me into, I, we could do a lot together. Don't you know when those teams that don't have a lot of talent, don't have a lot of gifting, they find a way to pull together and they accomplish much? You know what I mean? I, lo- you, I love those Cinderella stories. You know what I mean? Anybody, anybody with me on that? Not the greatest, not the best, not the fastest, not the quickest, not the strongest, but those who know how to pull together and get something done. I would have liked to have rooted for Wichita State this time around, but they made me really angry. Anyway, I love playing my role in that. It didn't necessarily mean I wanted to be the star or anything like that, but I wanted to play my part. Uh, and even today, I'm not always real comfortable with being, being the front person and the point person. I'm growing more comfortable with that as time goes on, but I just want to play a part. I want, I want, to, I want to play my part in the accomplishment of the goals and the destiny of whatever I'm a part of. Um, playing a team sport requires that each member does that, and that, that requires us all to be the same on fundamentals, to be the same on the basics. We can have different thoughts, different ideas about things that are not fundamental, different strategies and different things like that, but on the fundamentals, we have to practice them, we have to work on them, we have to stay on top of them. And kind of for the next few weeks, uh, we'll go there. As a football player, we always uh, would practice the same drills throughout the whole season, the basic fundamentals. There was always a blocking drill to done, be done, always a tackling drill that needed to be done, always shooting drills and different things like that as you play basketball. There were just basic things you had to get to keep on track with to grow and to be what you were supposed to be. Unfortunately for us as kingdom people, we tend to think we get past certain things as we go on with Christianity. And then we, we get sloppy on the fundamentals. Is that true? Well, for the next several weeks, we're going to study some fundamental things, and we're going to, we're going to stay on them. Um, there are certain things we should do every week. There are certain things we should do every day as a Christian, um, and we're going to help you recognize those. Everything we do in regard to these fundamentals and these basic things are things that put us in a position to win. That's what our coaches did. Our coaches put things in place that would put us in a position to win. Some people disagree with their tactics. Some people disagree with their strategy. But that, that was the heart. That was the purpose. Jesus has things he wants us to accomplish. As the members of the body of Christ, the of God, we must function as a team. And we, too, must be on top of the fundamentals. We must be on top of the basics. When we do these things well, either individually, as a church, or as the larger body of Christ, we put ourselves in a position to win the hearts of people. We put ourselves in a position to disciple those who are one. And then we put ourselves in a position to either be sent or to send others to keep that process going. And we can never get away from that. But before we go any further, I need, we need to work on a couple of ideas that we all have to be on the same page on before I even take on a fundamental, a basic practice of Christianity, okay? Number one, following Jesus is not a part-time occupation. You cannot follow Jesus just on Sunday. You cannot follow Christ just when there's Bible study or outreach ministries and things like that going on. You can't just follow Jesus 
during the church times, you must be a follower of Jesus all day, every day. He doesn't want the principles he gave us to be theoretical. He wants them to be practical. He wants them practiced daily in our lives. Matthew 7, 24 talks about the person whose house was built on a solid rock. He talks about a person just merely hearing, but he says, you can't just hear, you must do. And if you do with the things you hear me saying, he says, your house will be built on a rock. And I want to say this, this practice of these things that Jesus taught will be against what we know to be popular in the religious circles and in the secular circles. Jesus messed people up. He didn't, they did not know how to handle him. He went against the grain of all, all that stuff. The religious folks struggle with Jesus. The Roman folks struggle with Jesus. The Greek folks struggle with Jesus. All of them were like, what is he saying? Where is he going? What is he thinking? At some point in time, they thought he was crazy. And so when we begin to practice these things, it will very much put us in a, in a, in a predicament where we will be on the outs with some people. We will not fit any longer in the circles we've been fitting into. We will not any longer be, be the person who can just fade away into the closet and not be seen. We will, put, we will set ourselves up to be on the outside looking in of a lot of things. But at least we'll be in Christ. Jesus is the way. He's our unfailing compass. When we look to what, how life ought to be lived, the first place we should look is the person of Christ. He wants us, and this is, this is beautiful. I wish we would have had the last service recorded because it was like God took this idea I was about to preach and put flesh on it. He wants us to have intimacy with him and his ways. He wants us to be familiar with how he operates and why he, not just what he does, but why he does what he does. And get this with me, okay? Jesus does not want super Christians. He wants authentic followers. He wants people who are real to the core of who they are. They don't have a Sunday face. They just have a face. They don't like just look the, the part when they're supposed to. They look the part all the time. They try and be a follower of Christ everywhere they go and everything that they do. He wants you to be authentic more than he wants you to look, look right. He wants you to, to let his, his power and his truth and his love surge through your being and it transforms you from the inside out. And suddenly you find yourself being something you could have never been because you know what? He took over on the inside. He doesn't want you to be a super Christian, a super spiritual, super religious person. He wants you to be an authentic follower of himself. He is the way, he is the truth, and he's the life. So over the next few weeks, uh, we'll, be, we'll be studying some things that are just basic, and we're going to compare them to just fundamental, basic geometric shapes. You can see the graphic hanging from the ceiling over here. We're going to talk about that today. That's the circle. It represents repentance. It's, it, it, it talks about when we come to a place where we have to make a decision about our lives and how we deal with that. It is the initial message of the kingdom. When you, you cannot come to Christ except coming through this message of repentance, Okay? The next thing we'll talk about is a semicircle. It has to do with the rhythm of life that God called us to be human beings, not human doings. And he, there's this balance of rest and work, of Sabbath and existence in him that we find peace and hope. And we have to climb this crazy ladder of just trying to keep up that we just get to be what he wants us to be. That is the, that is the initial intention of life from creation. We'll go back way back to there. 
Maybe next week if God will allow us. The next thing we'll talk about is the triangle. It's a relational balance issue. The in, out, and up sides of our relationships. It's a three-dimensional thing. This is the initial purpose of all of God's creation. It's to us to live in relationship with him and in relationship with other people and how we navigate through those things. We'll talk about a square, which helps us realize our priorities, how we fit fit things into our lives to help others grow. This is the initial purpose of the church, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We'll talk about relevant communication, and we'll talk about the Pentagon, role-playing, that we find our place in the kingdom, and we serve well as uh, being the person God called us to be. We'll talk about the hexagon, relevant communication with God, the six sides that, that, that make up the Lord's prayer and what communication with God looks like. We'll talk about the septagon, which is a seven-sided, seven-sided figure, and it talks about real living, the functions that keep you wholly alive. And the octagon, recognizing our mission, being able to realize what a lifestyle of outreach looks like and how we zero in on people, God's calling to his kingdom, that he intends to use us to pull them close to himself with. Now, I want to say this. These things we'll teach over the next few weeks are designed to be reproducible. In you, as you sit here, see, my prayer is the next time you see a circle, you'll be drawn to a thought about repentance. See, my hope is the next time you see a triangle, you'll begin to think about, man, what, are my, what kind of condition are my relationships in? How am I navigating that? My hope is the next time that you see a pentagon, you'll be thinking, man, how do I fit into the kingdom? What is my role? How do, I, how do I make that work? My hope is that they'll be reproducible in you, but that also they'll be reproducible through you. Like when God brings you when, you, when you and your children are going through some things and you're trying to help them navigate life, you can sit down at the dinner table and draw a circle on the napkin right there and go, you know, son, you brought to a point where you have to make a decision. God's intended to do something new in your life and you need to turn some things around and you can reproduce them even at your own dinner table. Maybe there'll be somebody come to, come to you at work and they're suffering in their relationships and you can sit down and draw a simple triangle and begin to convey the truth of God's word to a coworker. Would that be awesome or what? What about you, 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 you helping somebody figure out that, that they have purpose and how they can live wholly alive? So you draw a seven-sided figure and begin to put on there, hey, this is what God tells us life is really all about. Wouldn't that be neat? So they're, just, they're not just supposed to be reproducible in you as you sit here and listen to me. These things are intended to be reproducible through you, that they become a part of how you live because they're just basic Christianity is all they are. They're fundamental things that make us followers of Christ. My job as a pastor is not to do all the work of the ministry. If I read Ephesians 4 correctly, my job is to empower you to be the, to be the workers of the ministry. Go read it. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, to fit the body of Christ for the work of ministry. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. So over the next few weeks, we'll discover all of these things. I hope you're compelled to carry them out. So let's start on our journey. Mark 1. You're having the time of your life. Things are moving right along. Things are happening. You're living, you're working, you're eating dinner with the fam. You, you're just, things are happening. And suddenly, uh-oh, something new goes on. In Mark 1.14, it reads like this. Later on, after John was arrested, speaking of John the Baptist, he was the first bearer of the message of the kingdom. Do you guys remember that? He said, there'll be one come after me who I can't even unloose his shoes, straps. Remember that? His message, 
See, there's all, usually, sometimes these pivotal moments, these things that happen in life, they seem very ugly and very bad. For Jesus and the people who are trying to desperately follow God, John the Baptist gets arrested. Are you hearing me so far? See, life was traveling along. John had a practice, had a purpose of how he lived out his life. He was at the Jordan River. He was baptizing people. Things were just flowing along as they had always gone. And then suddenly, blam, something happens. John went to, Jesus went to Galilee where he preached God's good news. Verse 15 says, the time promised. That's a really important phrase in this thing. By God, it's come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. See, there's this timeline thing in Scripture that life goes on and on and on. It gets bounces from one day to one day to the day. We would call it the same old, same old. It's marked by this timeline up here and up there. Do, do, do. Just different 24-hour segments. They just keep replicating themselves. They just keep going. And, 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 and that's how life was being lived. For many of you, before you came to Christ, life was just being lived. There was no passion, no purpose, no, no, no uh, direction. You were just living, and it was just, you were just existing. And then something happened, and you recognized life had to change. All of us have this, in, in the scriptures, this word of time, it's called chronos. It has to do with chronology, just daily living, everyday stuff. It's a boom, 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 boom. Okay. Now, what happens is, as our chronos is being lived out, there are things the scripture refers to in the Greek language. So the, the New Testament was written in Greek, okay? Just to give you guys an imprint why I'm, why I'm using Greek. Well, it's Greek to me. Well, it's Greek to me too. I'm just studied a few uh, Bible reference books and it gave me some insight, okay? So don't come, if you know Greek and try to come, come talk to me, that ain't gonna work, okay? The, the New Testament as we know it was written in the, in the Greek language, okay? There are, there are terms in the Greek language that for us would just mean time or would mean love. But in the Greek, there are several words that, make up, that, that, that we just translate like that in English, okay? So there's this chronology of time, day after day after day, that's in the Bible. But there's, all this, there's also this time called kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos is a pivotal moment. It's where your life suddenly comes to a crossroads, bam, represented by the X on the timeline, at that moment when that X, it's what the Bible says, the time promised that we just read in Mark 1.15. The time promised at a definite time. In Acts, it calls it the fullness of time. At a pivotal moment, at just the right place, God created a, thing for, a place for things to turn. Okay? Things to change. Pivotal uh, moments. Fullness of time moments. These moments force us to ask questions about our lives, about our direction, about what's going on, about where we're going, about what we're going to do next. It forces us to be, to be circumspect about our lives. That's why the, the circle is represented by, or the, represents repentance. We'll talk about that. G, this is the starting point of all Christianity. This is the message of the gospel. The problem is, Many of us think we come to Christ once, we've repented, past tense. But repentance is a lifestyle. It is something we are to live out continually. It is something where we hand more and more of our lives over to the person of Christ, that he works in us. And so we can never get away. The reason of us never mature in Christ is because we repented. We don't live repentant. Are you hearing me? 
And if, it, and if this is our initial connection to the kingdom, then we have to live in that circle. We have to let Jesus deal with us. We have to let him confront the issues that make us weak, that make us frail, that make us human, that make us carnal. And we have to allow his spirit to go to work in those areas. Are you hearing me? See, I'm not a good dad if I see a, ch- a chink in my kid's armor and I do nothing about it. If I see a, a character flaw and I just let them ride down the road, I'm not being a good father. I'm not helping them grow to be what they're supposed to be. Am I right? Well, if God, our Father in heaven, is the best father that ever was, is he just going to let our stuff ride? Oh, you're in. Have at it. Just, just, float on into the, just float on into heaven. Everything's good. No! That would be ludicrous for him to even think those kinds of things. He left us in charge of his mission. If we're in charge of his mission, we ought to look like him. And where we don't look like him, he deals with us on. So anyway, so where are you? Maybe you, here's this, maybe you found some friction in your life over the last few days, last few weeks, maybe life, maybe the last few months. God forbid, maybe it's been years. In the children of Israel, 40 years, they had to deal with this Kairos thing. They were grumblers and complainers, and they wouldn't get it right, and they just kept doing laps. They were just days away from the promised land. And you know what they kept doing? Drawing circles. They wouldn't let God fix that issue in their character. That grumbling and complaining heart that they had, he wouldn't let them, they wouldn't let him deal with that. And what happened? They died out there never fulfilling the purposes of God. God had to entrust the, the, the next level of his, of his work in the earth to another generation. Let me say this. Let that not be said of us. Are you hearing me? Time is too short. Life is flying by too fast. We better get on. The word repentance, it's, it's amazing how, how God puts these things together. Repent and believe. The time of decision had come, you see. Thus, the required response to which Jesus summoned his hearers was a double command. Repent and believe. See, without repentance, only half the circle is done. And this word believe, I'll get into that in a minute. You have to repentance and belief working simultaneously with one another. Repent and believe. Repentance and faith or belief are bound together in one piece. They're not temporally successive acts. They don't come one after another. They come simultaneously. To repent is to turn away from an existing object of trust. Do you get that? There's something I put my trust in. Maybe it's my ability to get things done. Maybe it's some religious system of, 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 of following God or trying to get to God. Maybe for me, it's, it's, it's the workplace that I work at. Maybe for me, it's the relationship with my wife. Maybe for me, it's, it's something else. It's my financial status and my ability to create wealth and all that. Maybe there's something I put my trust in that God's saying, no more, bud. I've turned away from that. To believe is to commit oneself wholeheartedly to the object of faith. To believe means to trust completely that it's your whole self involved in it. To repent means to give yourself completely to something. Thus, to believe in the good news meant to believe in Jesus himself as the Messiah, the Son of God. He is the content of the good news. You catch that? It's keep, you know what, this, you know what this, this circle is doing? It's keeping Christ central in our lives. It's keeping him the focus of who we are and what we do. And all of us have issues that are not quite under his lordship yet. Is that true? 
Jesus preached, according to the Bible Exposition Commentary, Jesus preached that people should repent or change their minds and believe. These Kairos and Kronos moments are significant events. The Kairos. They fight against everydayness. If your everydayness is blah, 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 and just whatever, trust me, at some point in time, a Kairos moment is coming, intentioned by God to change that blah, 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 blah. Because because Jesus came, he says in John 10, 10 about himself, that he came to give us life and to give, us, to give it to us more abundantly. Now, what they, now, now we can misconstrue that. A lot of preachers to tell you, you have to, you know, you should be thinking about driving a Cadillac or living in a big house or whatever. That ain't what he's talking about. He is talking about being full on the inside, full of hope, full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of goodness and kindness, full of patience and, and long suffering, full of it, but it's abundant, it runs over. Now, blessing does follow us. I won't discount that either. Sometimes when God, when we walk out with God, he, he, he tends to do things nobody else can do in our lives. But I want to tell you this, for most of us, we're looking for comfort. We're not looking for commission. We're looking for ease. And God's looking for eternity. And the only thing that keeps us centrally focused on eternity is this idea of repentance. There are things I have to keep turning away from and I have to keep turning towards Christ in. Are you with me? Those Kairos moments could be positive or negative. I'm going to say that. It's all in how we allow them to affect us and how we look at Christ in the middle of it, whether they are that or not. We should always be life learners, lifelong learners, and this circle will teach us that. Look, look for instance, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll, we'll, we'll travel through this idea of repentance, okay? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the very things I was just talking about, actually, about everyday life. In Matthew 6, 25, he, he, he speaks some things. He says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life, listen to these words Jesus says, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than, to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? How many of you guys are prone to worry and fear? Anybody just want to raise your hand right now? The Bible says if we confess our fault to one to another, we begin the process of healing and strength. So it's okay to raise your hand here because we, we all deal with that. It, it's kind of in my blood. I, got, I had a grandma. She worried about everything. If it wasn't storming, she was worried about that. If it was storming, she was worried about that. If, I mean, it was just going to end me. You know what I mean? Genetically, I just got, I, I, I get that kind of gene flowing towards me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This kind of comes natural. And, 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 and the first step on this, on this circle is to inquire, to ask the question, what is wrong? What, what's messed up here? Where is the disconnect? What is wrong? You inquire what's wrong, and you observe your circumstances. You look around. These pieces aren't fitting together. Life just doesn't seem like it's right. Why am I here? 
what did I do to deserve this? And you start asking those kinds of questions. You start looking at it. To repent means to perceive afterwards. So most of the time, this repentance thing comes after something else. For some of us, we woke up one morning and forgot where we were the night before. And it scared us to death. Head pounding. Whose house is this anyway? I don't know. For some of us, it was a bad car accident. We suddenly we realized how frail life could be and how much we let get away from us. And all of a sudden, we're like, what is this all about? For some of us, it's the passing of a loved one. For some of us, it's a situation where we can't pay the bills. For others of us, it's a betrayal or something has gone on that we're all of a sudden, we're asking questions we never asked before. We're looking at things in ways we never looked before. And we are at a position where we know that life is, at this moment, life is stuck. But that's okay if we respond correctly. Repentance means to, to perceive afterwards. It's, it's, two, it's two Greek words, which I'm not going to bore you with them. It means to perceive afterwards. It means to change one's mind or purpose. Always in the New Testament, it involves a change. Listen to this. Listen to these words. Always. Everybody say that word with me. Always. Always in the New Testament, it was a change for the better. See, sometimes we come to a place where things go really bad and we don't really repent. We have one of those pivotal moments and things get worse. That's not what God intends. Our character gets worse. Our attitude gets worse. Our, our perception of life gets worse. If that's what's going on, so there's this thing called, the Bible talks about this. There's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Carnal, earthly sorrow leads to more destruction. You can feel condemned and bad about life, but you'll keep lashing out at your family. You'll keep going back to the bottle. You'll keep going back to the pot. You'll keep going back to the other stuff. You'll keep going back to the, to, to the, to the, to the cash exchangers to get more money to get you the next paycheck. And you'll keep feeling bad about how things are, but you're not changing nothing. For the better, you're digging the hole deeper. Repentance always involves in the scripture a change for the better. It's found everywhere in the, in, in, in the scriptures. So in, in the inquire mode, we observe these circumstances. Jesus asks the question, is life more important? Isn't life more than just, just clothing and food and drink? He's dealing with one of, our basic, one of the basic things that we all have to repent of. That's fear of what happens tomorrow. How things be forward. All of us deal with that basic fear, don't we? How are we going to provide? Going to Jesus is dealing with, he's, he's showing us what repentance looks like. Start thinking, isn't your life more, worth more than just you being worried all the time? Isn't there more to be done and just be locked in, trapped in fear and darkness and gloom and despair and agony on me? Quit watching Hee Haw, for goodness sakes. Huh? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Remember that? Isn't life more important? He goes, look at the birds. He wants you to observe something. Look. The next step is you want to, you want to find insight. What's wrong is the first question. Insight is why is it wrong? Why have I ended up here? What, what begin to reflect on what's going on in your life? What steps did I take to dig this trench I'm in? 
Did I not deal with conflict well? And it made me frustrated and angry. And so instead of turning to my wife, I, I turned towards a bottle. Maybe instead of turning towards my wife, I turned towards porn on the computer. Maybe instead of turning towards my wife, I turned towards a, the secretary at work. Well, how, did I, how did I end up here? You see what I'm saying? Aren't these real life issues? Hmm? Maybe I turned to... E- you talked about eBay and Craigslist. Maybe I turned to eBay and Craigslist to give me everything I want or to pay all my bills or something. And all of a sudden, I'm not really trusting God. I'm trusting my ability to acquire certain things, and, and I'm trying to make things happen. Why did I end up here? Why did I end up frustrated? Why did I, why did I end up messed up? He says, aren't you worth more? See, Jesus is trying to get us to a different perspective, Try to take us from how we see things carnally and have a, begin to have a heavenly mindset. Observe well, Luke 12, 24 says. Consider is another word he uses to describe this same situation in, in, that, in that passage of Scripture in Luke 12. It's a, it's a parallel piece of Scripture. He says, look, observe well as to learn wisdom from them. How to live life and how not to live life. Are you hearing me? The next part of this, because we are created for the purpose of community, the next piece of the puzzle, you have to involve others. You have to allow other people to either ask you hard questions or you need to pose questions to people who they will answer you effectively and honestly. Why did I end up here? Do you really want me? I've had to ask those questions before in counseling situations. Do you really want me to answer that question? Did you come to really get help, or you just want me to pat you on the back and say you're okay? Which is the which is which which question? Do, which way is it going to be? Now, if you want it fixed, I can help you fix, but honesty is going to hurt a little bit. Are you hearing me? You have to involve others. God created us for relationship. We'll get to that. That's triangle number. That's the triangle. The third. The third idea. Let me say this. Patrick talked this morning about us living an enthusiastic life in the first service. The funny part about it is, I read this book. Several years ago, like eight. The name of it is called A Passionate Life. A guy named Mike Breen wrote it. He was a pastor in England, and he was the one who came up with these ideas about these shapes that are just basic fundamental discipleship ideas that he'd help people just lock, lock them in. God intends for us to live life with passion and intensity. He intends for us not to be bogged down by life. He intends for us to be more than conquerors. That's what Romans says. That's what Jesus says in John 10. So that, that it must be true. How do we do that then? And we just begin to apply some fundamental things about life from the scripture that God intended us to live by from the beginning of time. I think this book is out of print, but somebody told me this week, you can get it at Amazon. You know how God works? I, w- I was just going to use, I was going to do a series of messages and just use this repentance concept. And that's all I was going to do. I'm going to go on to something else. And I started looking, looking at this book and I thought, I got to do that. I got to do the concept. I got to do all eight of those concepts. The day I called, this is funny, the day I called praises, I called Billy. I'm like, hey, can I get this book? She's like, uh, it looks like it's out of print. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Really? Okay. She's like, wait, wait, let me look. And she looked up on it and she found the cover. She said, I've, I've just seen that. They had just taken it out of the system, put two of them on clearance for half price. And the next day, the manager, Matt, walked in with this same book in his hand and said, do you know anybody who would want this book? I'll give it to him for free. So now I have three copies of it. I've given one to the secretaries, helped me kind of build the graphics and 
And I'll pass one on to Chad so he can teach some of it to the youth ministry. And we'll, I don't know what to do with the third one yet. We'll figure that out as time goes on. But now I have, I have the one original I had, and I have three more. That's pretty cool how God supplies that all unexpectedly. When you hear his voice, you follow. The wind blows. You end up where you're supposed to be. And if you don't believe God does that kind of thing, trust me, he's very personal. He's involved and in, 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 we're worth more than many sparrows. So he'll do that. So Jesus asked a question. He's intending to get right to the heart with it. Can you, by worrying, can you add one moment to your life, he asked him. That's the involvement of others. He asked a real question that has a real answer. And the obvious answer to the question is, no. And because we can answer directly and effectively, we begin the, the process of change. Change happens to us when we listen to the questions and begin to answer them. It's not the ending, it's just the beginning. So, Jesus has gotten us through the repentance phase. Inquire, insight, and involve. Now I have to transfer over to the believe age because now we're just, we're just only part of the process is done. We've been kind of aware that life has to change. We realize we're in the wrong. We realize there's an area of weakness. We realize that we are the one not abiding by scriptural and kingdom principles. Now what? Now I have to transfer to, from the repentance stage to the believe stage. They have to walk hand in hand or it's incomplete. I can believe something, but if I don't repent, it doesn't change my life. I can repent, but if I don't begin to trust God in that area, it doesn't change my life. So we have to go the whole circle. The next piece, we'll, 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 we'll read down a few verses. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. He says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Verse 34 says, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This believe side, when Jesus says repent and believe in Mark 1, 14 and 15, this word believe is a Greek word, pistuo. It means to place confident, confidence in, to trust. It signifies reliance upon and not mere credence. So we can have an idea of what we're supposed to do, and we can have head knowledge about something. Where it crosses the line is it becomes heart understanding, and it becomes a facet of all that we are. Do you understand that? I can believe something here, and it never changed my life. What happens is when, it, when that belief travels down this foot of t- space between my head to my heart, and it changes who I am. So what do you do now? The next thing you have to do is you have to intend. There has to be intention about your life. You've asked the questions, now you have to put something into place to alter it. But here's the thing. He says, seek first. Make a plan to seek first the kingdom of God. Make a decision. Develop an intention that you're going to do that. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his counsel. Seek first his word. Seek first the the way he does things and begin to plan out. Begin to take from scripture those things that will change the circumstance and situation. Plan. Number five on the curve is this, engage. The scripture, there's been a cliche that says the pathway to hell is filled with good intentions. We can intend and we can plan. But if we never engage, it's never going to change anything. It's never. I have to take responsibility at this moment. 
When I come to this place, I see what's wrong. I see what's messed up. I see how Jesus is not ruler of that area of my life. I put together a a, a plan. I say, okay, this is how I change this. But if I never, if I never engage, I might believe it's a great idea to tithe. And I might be scrapping together uh, uh, my giving arrangements. And I might be be living paycheck to paycheck. But until I actually write the check or put the money in the envelope, actually put it in the basket, I have not repented. I have told Jesus I'm sorry because I've not been generous like I need to be. But until I actually engage that thing, I have not even, I'm not even three quarters away around a circle. And I have to engage. I have to take responsibility. And a part of that responsibility is I have to seek out accountability. I have to have somebody who says, I looked into my world, my wife, maybe. Some of this would scare some of you guys. I do this on purpose. There's this thing called the internet. Anybody ever heard of it? Huh? There's some really good stuff out there. There's some really horrible stuff out there. You know how I've implemented a plan of repentance in my life? Now, I'll say this. I'm a dude, as a teenage boy, a young adult fella, dealt with some serious issues where lust and pornography and things of that nature were concerned. And I could have told my wife, I'm sorry for all of that. And I could have hid some things and kept it all under wraps and all that. But you know what? You know how I, you know how I, I implement this change in my life, how I engage this moment? There's this, there's this thing called covenant eyes. Man, there's a fire out there at the information center. You know what I do? I'll put, I put that program on my computer. You know what happens? Every week, my wife gets an email telling her where I've been and what I've been looking at. And she has the right to ask me questions if something gets flagged. And pretty frequently, we have a conversation, don't we? Because it flags things like Facebook and YouTube and different stuff like that. So we get to have a heart-to-heart conversation that we never, never would have had. You hear me? That's engaging. Okay? That's taking responsibility and providing for accountability. Are you hearing me? Because, see, we have to involve others in our lives. We are community beings. God created us for relationship. And the cycle of repentance never comes full circle until I involve other people in it. Until I, until I give people the ability to ask me difficult questions. Until I give people a chance to get into the nitty-gritty of where I live and how I do and how I operate. It does never. I take responsibility by being accountable. And I've had people tell me they want me to be their accountability partner. But you know what? I have to discover things about them. And then when I discover things about them, you know what happens? They don't want to talk about it. That is not engaging the problem. That's running from the problem. If you want accountability, you must seek it. You must be a follower, a disciple. You must submit willingly to one another, which happens to be something Paul wrote about quite consistently. If you want to stay where you are... Just don't involve anybody. It's cool. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a a guy who was martyred for his faith in Nazi Germany. You know what he said? It's impossible to arrive at truth, even, even reading the word of God without community, because we will justify our actions as long as the day is long. Do you know that's true? 
As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Isn't that true? That's Proverbs. And so I need the brethren around me. I need the cistern. I don't even know if that's a word. But it sounded good, didn't it? Huh? The sisterhood, maybe? I don't know what to call it. To let them in to where I'm at. Let them hold me accountable. Let them ask me tough questions. Let me tell them when I'm struggling with something and they can get back in my face and say, dude, what are you doing? You're being stupid. We love you. Let's pray about that. And then once you've intended and once you've engaged the circumstance with responsibility and accountability, then you implement, you carry it out. You get that? Intend, engage, implement. Without an implementation, without an actual course of action, it, it, it doesn't work. Faith is always, look at this, faith is always intended to be acted out. It's never to be bottled up. You cannot say you believe and keep it bottled up. You cannot say you actually trust Christ and not change. You cannot say that I'm a believer in Christ and you keep living the same way you've always lived. It's an impossibility. You cannot say Jesus has lordship in an area and keep acting the way you're acting. Do you know I only say things like this because I love you? And my intention is to disciple you and help you. It would seem to me that many of us will get tired of living the way we're living and having the same problems over and over and over again. It would seem to me it would get really old of just contending with the same stuff. Jesus' intention is this. He says, so, we were on vacation a few years ago, and every day my oldest daughter would wake up and her first word would be, so, and what we're saying is, what's next? What do we do now? And we do the next thing, and we get done with lunch, whatever. So, and it's kind of funny here, because Jesus does exactly the same thing. In Matthew, uh, in Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. And he says, here's how you implement the change. So, next thing is, so, don't worry. Stop worrying. Seek first the kingdom. Trust me with all your heart. I got you covered. That means you eliminate that from your life, the worry and the fear of what's next. So, so my question to you is, so, what is it in your life? So what is that thing, that addiction that keeps coming back? What is, what is that one thing? Maybe, maybe for some of you, I don't even thought, maybe for some of you, telling the truth is an issue. You tell fish stories all the time. Everything's bigger than it really was. Maybe you and well, we won't call you. You know, religious people would call you a liar, but we'll just call you an extreme exaggerator. I don't know. This is real life, man. Jesus intends to change our real life. Not to give us just some fac- facsimile of life. You ever, you ever got a fax? Does that look like trash? It doesn't look anything like the original, does it? Anybody got a fax and you thought, that looks, that looks real? Anybody ever had one of those? I have never had one. I don't want a facsimile of Christian life. I want the real thing. 
I want to live life like Christ intended me to live it. I want to be what he wanted me to be from the beginning of time. He saw me before I was being formed. He saw me before the foundation of the world. I want to leave in front of him everything about my life that is adverse to his kingdom, adverse to his character, adverse to his love that he shed on a cross for me. I want that out of my life. I am still a work in progress. I threw a wrench last Saturday, not on purpose, because I just got angry. I'm not completely sanctified yet, and I'm not acting as if I am. I found out one other thing. There's one more thing to get under the worship of Jesus, Aaron. It's a crazy bike with a messed up rear sprocket. That's what it is. Get it in front of me. And you know what I've done? I've left that thing sit. Not going back to that until I can handle it. Jesus and Jesus changed our whole life. Jesus intends for us to, 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 to give over to him. You guys remember the slinky? Remember the slinky? What's a slinky made up of? A series of interwoven circles. You know what a slinky will do when you give it the right nudge? Because it's one circle built on another, it'll take off and start walking on its own. See, our lives are series of repentance circles. Each one builds on the next one. Each one gives the previous one more power to move forward. Each one of those circles that I walk through gives me power to be more like Christ, and I build on the one that happened before, and my life just keeps moving down the road God intended. You ever watch a slinky walk down steps? You give it the right nudge at the top, it just keeps walking. You let God give you just the right nudge. And you keep your heart tender and pure before him. Your life will just keep right on walking. You're open to him. And you let him take you on those circle adventures. When life, when you know life can't keep moving the way it was moving, it has to, you have to stop and reassess. At that moment, you build another circle. It's another opportunity for momentum to be built in your life. Another attention for you to become more like Christ. In fact, the scriptures talk about that. Listen to these words. 2 Corinthians 3, 16. I love the terminology here. It says, but whenever someone turns toward the Lord, how do you make it? If you are going to make it, one of my pastor friends, Skip Cousins, has one of those knobs on his steering wheel. And when he wants to turn it, you know what it does? You know what he does? Am I right? So whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He can see clearly. For the Lord is the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is the real point of the repentance circle. You are bound in an area of your life. Jesus intends for you to be free. You are bound to something, and God said, Jesus, I have freedom for you. And you turn towards him. You turn away from that stuff. The veil's torn away. You can see clearly who you are, who you're supposed to be, where you're going. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him. Now listen to these next words. As we are changed into his glorious image. You see, the circle of repentance is there. It's carving away the, the excess so that the, the life of Christ, the glory of Christ can be seen in you and be seen in me. When we turn away, God's taking his sculptor's knife, the sculptor's knife, and he's sculpting away, and he's taking the chunk of wood that was 
rough and, and, and messed up, and he's, he's carving away so the image of Christ can be seen in our lives. There are areas where we're impatient. There are areas we are lacking in joy. There are areas we are lacking in peace. There are areas we are lacking in self-control. There are areas where the character of Christ cannot be clearly seen. And every time we come to those Kairos moments where life cannot go on, Jesus is taking the knife of the, sculpt, the sculptor and he's moving it off and rubbing around and creating something that looks like himself. Isn't that cool? Huh? Isn't that amazing that Jesus can take mere clay and make something glorious out of it? 2 Corinthians 4 calls us vessels, jars of clay, that we have in us a treasure of heaven inside earthen vessels. Are you in the middle of a life-changing moment? Are you in the middle of a kairos? Are you in the middle of a moment where it's kind of, kind of neat. This book's called A Passionate Life. People are drawn to people who are enthusiastic, aren't, aren't you? You're drawn to people who, who got enthusiastic about what's going on, where God's taking them, what team they're for. You just want to be around them when they get big games going on and all that kind of stuff. The word enthusiasm literally gets this word. It's another two other Greek words. In theos. In God. That's where the word enthusiasm comes from. So here's the idea of the circle. The idea of the circle is God intended us to live an impassioned life with enthusiasm. But the only way we can let God reside within our lives, in God, is that we have to let him in those areas that need carving, that need repentance. And none of us get away from that. No matter how long we live for Christ, we never get away from that. We will never be perfect beings. Therefore, God will always be working in us the image of his son. The only way to rise above status quo is to change areas God is not yet within and let him in. This is a lifestyle. We have a, a sign over here that talks about worship being a lifestyle. Romans 12.1 depicts that, 1 and 2. And it says these words. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present yourself, your body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And then he goes, do not be conformed any longer to the image of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what the perfect will of God, the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God is. Did you know that? That is worship. Repentance is a lifestyle because it's worship. We are laying ourselves before God. God, take out anything that's messed up. I lay that part of my life on your altar. It is reasonable for me to expect that, th- you to do that to me because you want me to be, look more like your son. And I want to live for him. And I want to be impassioned with the glory of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the spirit of God working and moving. Every time I repent, I give the spirit more access to work in my life, to use me greatly. And so today, Jesus, as an act of worship, I lay that area down. I ask you to be Lord and King over it. That's the real issue. You know what happened first service this morning? We were, to, we, we, we were kind of fleshing out this thing in, in, a, in a form of worship and stuff this morning. Sitting right near where, where Chuck's sitting. A young girl right, right here somewhere. Been coming for months. She started the journey with us today. She said, Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. She needs your prayers. Her name's Lyndon. For a few weeks, she's been she even come one day without her mom and her dad. They've been praying for her. She's one of those names up there. 
She'd been coming, working one, one Sunday without her mom, and, and today was her day to start the journey. Maybe today's your day to start the journey. To start, you, you've come to a point where life can go, not keep going the way it's going. You can't keep living the way you're living. You can't keep doing what you've been doing. You can't stay where you're at. You're miserable. Everybody around you is miserable. Life is a mess, and you need the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today is the day for you. Don't hold back. The gospel is true. Believe in Jesus and repent. Repent and believe in him. Give him all of your life. All of us have sin. All of us have issues. All of us need the cross in our lives. Without the cross, we can't get to the resurrected life of the tomb. We have to cross through that thing. We have to, 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 to end up there. At that moment, we, when we give our lives to him, he begins to change us. We become new creatures. Listen, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of the kingdom, the glory of the good news is God takes broken down humanity and he pours his spirit into them. and He changes who they are. He changes how they respond. He changes how they act. And he, he uses them to reflect his own glory in the earth. Every one of us are candidates for that because we all have sinned and fallen short. Today, if you've fallen short and you know you've fallen short, let me tell you this. Jesus stands like this and he offers the same message. Repent and believe. I am right here. I am going no place. I'll take you. That's what he says. I'll take you. In fact, I'm calling you. I'm working in your heart. Some of us have been on the journey for a long time. But you know what the problem is? We've allowed him to be the savior of our lives. But there are areas of our lives he's not yet the Lord of. And that's really the issue of repentance, to make him Lord. Some of you have to make him Lord of your finances. Some of you have to make him Lord of your relationship. Some of you have to make him Lord of, of, of your home, of your workplace. Some of you have to make him Lord of, of, of your affections. Maybe you have to make him Lord over your addictions. Some of you have to make him Lord of, and they're just areas he's just whittling away at, trying to form the care. Today, all of us are in need of a repentant heart. Every stinking one of us. God's calling us to go on to an edge with him that we can't get there without him. And when he calls, we should answer. Like Samuel, the prophet, here am I, Lord. What do you want to do in me? Jesus intends for you to be changing the glory and the likeness of his image. What is that area today? So, I asked Jesus that. The same, the same statement Jesus said. So, why worry? So, why stay there? So, why Keep going in the direction you're going. So, don't worry. Here's what I want to do. We have a few leaders. Just come and stand right here at the center on either side of this gray carpet. Leave the outlying areas open. Today, if you have need of a repentance in some capacity, you feared and worried about things just like the scriptures say, or you have an addiction issue, or you have a, a, a relationship issue that you need to get under. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've not been the parent you need to be, the spouse you need to be. And it's become greatly aware that the likeness and the character of Christ is not, ava- not, not, not evident in, your, in a particular area of your life. If you don't know Christ, that's what I want to do. Stand. Everybody just stand with me, would you? We're going to just give you a minute of time to respond to Jesus.
Some of you need to take the step of humility and involve others. You need to come up to one of these places right here in the front and ask a leader, why is my life ended up here? What can I do to fix it and involve them? Some of you need to just get to the place where you humble yourselves and go, Jesus, here's my life. I'm just laying it down on an altar somewhere. If you don't start the process, you will, right now, you, chances are you won't. And what happens? You become like Pharaoh. You keep hardening your heart. The next time, the callus is a little bit thicker. The next time, it's a little bit thicker. And the next time, it's a little bit thicker until you can't even hear God anymore because you keep refusing to bow that part of your life to him. That's a scary place to be. You can't see the forest for the trees. You have an area you just need to get in front of Jesus and repent of. Just come. It's impossible for us to go any further without confessing our faults one to another. It's impossible for us to even come to cross without confessing before others. The Bible says we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth that we shall be saved. What area of your life needs the salvation of the Lord? Father, right now, we just commit ourselves to you. And God, we ask, Lord Jesus, for you to do the searchlight in our, in our lives and our hearts. God, we ask you, Jesus, to do in us what nobody else can do, God. And you take out of us a heart of stone and put in us a heart of flesh, God, and cause us to see things the way you see and hear things the way you hear them. Jesus, today, we submit ourselves to you. God, it's in your great and awesome name we pray.